I did make you one, but I didn't email it. So uh, you'll just, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you four thoughts in just a moment. You can write down and then you can scribble down some verses beside them. And so uh, with that in mind, let's pray and open our, ask God to open our hearts to hear his word tonight as we endeavor to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the word of God and we open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Lord, your word says about the word that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We open our hearts and we say, Lord, speak to us through your word. I pray everyone here tonight would just pray that prayer. Just say, Lord, speak to me tonight through the ministry of your word. Change my life in Jesus' name. And again, everybody said amen. Amen. You know, as I said, our focus is missions. And when you think of missions, people get a little nervous. And when you think about, you know, uh, going on a mission trip, you might get a little nervous and thinking about all those things. But you know what? It's a great honor to be able to be a part of something bigger than you. And uh, I'm really hoping this month that in some way your heart is pricked, your heart is, is, is softened towards the mission field and began to connect in your heart to not only our missionaries, but a missionary mindset, (coughs) pardon me, (coughs) where you and I get a greater mindset and motivation towards the mission field. Sunday, we talked about missions motivators, things that should motivate us toward the mission field. Uh, And uh, if you weren't here Sunday, I would encourage you to get the, the tape or get online and download the message or listen on our website, go to iTunes and just really let that message motivate you to get connected to the mission field. Tonight, we're going to talk about not just the motivation towards mission, but catching a vision for missions uh, and the mission's heart and, and getting a vision for the harvest of God. Because how many of you know missions, uh, really, we're talking about harvest. What's the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the uh, Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that he's commanded us. And lo, he's with us always, even to the end of the age. That's the commission we have, and that's our mission. And uh, so it has to do with uh, really catching a vision for the harvest. And so with that in mind... Uh, John 4 is a great illustration about catching a vision, a very literal vision for the harvest of God. The story in John 4 is about the woman from Samaria who was a, uh, a loose woman in a sense, and Jesus met her at the well. You remember, how many of you remember the story? Uh, okay, you got that story down. And uh, in fact, Jews were not, the, 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 the issue of the day was Jews don't interact with the Samaritans. They were kind of the lowly of lowlies. But I want you to look in John chapter 4, verse 4. Everyone look there, John 4, verse 4. It says, but he, speaking of Jesus, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And there's the well, and there was the woman of Samaria. She was drawing water, and Jesus begins to interact with her. She tries to be religious with him uh, and uh, talk about their fathers and, you know, and so on and so forth. But Jesus kind of pegged her with a prophetic word. He said, go find your husband. And she said, well, uh, you know... uh, I, mm, that's a hard question. She said, I, he said, I know you don't have one husband. You've had five. And the one you're living with now, 
you don't have papers on, you're shacking up with him. And woo, all of a sudden, she said this amazing passage in verse, she said, I perceiveth that thou art a prophet. Because uh, he read her mail. And uh, long story short, she went back into Samaria and told everyone she knew, she said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Come right on in. And so uh, the disciples, the story where I want to pick up on is in verse, oh, let's see. Oh, I'll start in verse 29. I just quoted it. It says, she came back to Samaria and she said, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Get the picture. Everybody get the picture. They're out in this well out on the outside of the city. Jesus ministers to this woman. Uh, she gets fired up. She goes back into town. Goes, I want everybody to come see Jesus. Uh, you, you know, it's interesting who God uses to be evangelist. Here's a little woman who just had an interaction with Christ and who had a very, uh, you know, unusual colored past, but God used her. And so it says, and they went out of the city and came to him. It's almost like the whole town, the whole city were coming out to see this man who told her all the things she ever done. And it says, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. I got a feeling the disciples were saying, Rabbi, Let's eat. I, I, I just my opinion, but I, I believe they were concerned about him. Uh, but uh, he said, I have food that you know not of. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Everyone say finish his work. Listen, folks, that just on a side note, that's got to be the mind. That's got to be our mindset. We've got to finish the work. You remember what I said about the mission of Jesus Sunday? It's really a two phase deal. Jesus' life on planet earth, and really a lot of the last week of Christ. We're in what people call Holy Week right now. The last week of Christ, that, that takes up a large majority of the New Testament, just about the last week of Christ. He was finishing his work. He was accomplishing his earthly ministry and then setting up the church, if you will, for phase two of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. We are God's phase two. Amen. You catch that idea? He said, I'll build my church. And then he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. He set it up. He built it. He planned it. We are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. But here he is realizing, I've got to finish my work. And, hit, and here, verse, verse 35, is where our keynote launching pad is tonight. He said, do not say there are still four months. And then comes the harvest. Speaking of natural harvest. You get it? He's drawing an illustration. He said this, don't say four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, what was he drawing attention to with his disciples? The whole city coming out to hear him talk. And he, he said, hey, lift up your eyes. Everyone say, lift up your eyes and look. For the fields are white already to harvest. So Jesus was really drawing the point home with his disciples who would be his church leaders in the first century church and the, the apostles and the prophets. And, and he said, hey, this is our harvest field. Here comes the people that we are not supposed to be hanging around with, the Samaritans, the unclean ones in our mind, they're coming out to hear me. This is your harvest field. Lift up your eyes and look, for the fields are white already unto harvest. 
And he goes on to say, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to eternal life. And, the, and both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and other reaps. I say unto you, reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So the real phrase is this, lift up your eyes and look, because we're talking about getting a vision for the harvest. And now uh, these disciples got a real vision. Oh, all of a sudden awakening. Here comes the harvest. We're concerned about supper and you're still thinking about the harvest. And here they come. And so that's what I want us to do tonight, gain a little bit of, get a vision. Tell somebody, it's time we get a vision for the harvest of God. Amen. We need to get a vision for the harvest of God. Now, to do that, uh, you really need to understand some things about the season and the times we're living in. Okay? Because I really believe, in fact, I know, and I'll validate that for you, it is harvest time. That's what Jesus was saying when the, when the harvest was coming. He said, look, the fields are white unto harvest. Lift up your eyes. It is harvest time. Turn around and tell somebody, slap them on the shoulder a little, uh, not too hard. Say, it's harvest time, brother. It's harvest time, sister. It's harvest time. That's what he wanted them to see, that it was harvest time. He wanted them to get a vision for it. Now, here, we need to understand the times and the seasons we're in. Now, if you turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm going to read that in just a moment to give you a little uh, word uh, study. Uh, I need to get over there. But go back to the f- verse 4 in your mind. It said about Jesus and Samaria, what did it say? He must needs or he needed to go through Samaria. Jesus had an inner unction and urging about going through Samaria. He, I think, knew it was hard. Well, I know he knew by, because he's Jesus. It was harvest time for Samaria. It was their appointed time. And we, in order to get that vision, must begin to come to a place where we understand the times that we're living in. And so with that in mind, let's look in verse 1 of chapter 5. I want to show you two words. Uh, In fact, I'm going to read, and this is really about the day of the Lord. But the context here is really, I want you to catch, is uh, is the times and the seasons. He says in verse 1, but concerning the times and the seasons, everyone say times and seasons. He said, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you, you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a what? Thief in the night. He said, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness so that, that, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Somebody say Amen. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. He's speaking of spiritual sleep. Uh, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Everyone say, watch and be sober. So he's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And he basically says, we're not going to be in the dark about it because we're children of the light. But he said, you know, you, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, could I say that's not the case with us today? Because we tend to uh, uh, not really catch the times and the seasons we as God's people are living in. Now, these two words, the times, the Greek is chronos. Everyone say chronos. It's just chronology. Tick-tock, tick-tock time. 
It's just a span of time. He said, you need to understand what time it is from a natural perspective, the times. Like, we need to understand, you know, what season, time it is right here in our world. It's, you know, even as a young adult, you know, the time, hey, it's time to get up and go to work. That's what he's talking about. You've got to understand the season, the, the, the times and the seasons. Everyone say seasons. Different word, uh, but in it, me, in the Greek there is kairos. Everyone say kairos. And it basically is a di- divine opportunity that has been established by God in the middle of our chronology of life. Now, you put the two together as God's church, we've got to be plugged into the chronology of life so God can then bring us to a Kairos moment of opportunity to fulfill his kingdom purpose. And so to, under, to, to get a vision for the harvest, we need to understand and have a revelation of the times and the seasons we are living in as God's people. In fact, what, what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians, you need to understand, basically, there's a limited amount of time that you have, chronology, and there is a definitive kairos opportunity for you, uh, but in the middle of it, you need to understand that, hey, uh, the day of the Lord is coming. So we must be busy about the Father's business. That's what Paul uh, said in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse, I think it's 18, when he said, Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Everyone say, Redeeming the time. Interesting thing about that Greek word, it's not chronology or chronos. When he says, Redeem the time, it's, it's kairos, redeeming the God opportunity that he gives you. Pay whatever you have to pay in order to be able to, to make the most of the Kairos God moment opportunity that he has for us to reach our world for Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, with the realization that we've got to understand some things in order to, uh, the times and the seasons, uh, we need to open, everyone say open your eyes. Open our eyes to, some, uh, to gain some, some real insight in four key areas. And I'm going to give them to you tonight. Are you ready? Here we go. And, and, and this, this is the first one. We, we need to open our eyes and awaken because Paul said, you know, let us not sleep as others do there in Ephesians, or pardon me, Thessalonians 5 verse 6. Uh, he said, don't go to sleep, but we must, we need to open our eyes. That's what Jesus said. Lift up your eyes and look. Get a vision for the harvest. So here it is, the first one. We need to open our eyes and awaken to the prophetic vision and insight that God has for us. The prophetic vision and insight that God has for us. From a prophetic standpoint, from a biblically prophetic standpoint, you and I need to understand, and it will help us get a vision for our harvest that God has for us. You and I need to understand that the age of the church that we live in, uh, the scripture, in fact, what did, what did Peter quote from Joel when he got up on Pentecost Sunday when the church was born? How many of you realize Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, the church was born, officially born. That's the birthday of the church. 
church was born. Jesus told them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be... When the promise of the Father comes upon you, you'll, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the church is directly linked to the fulfilling of the Great Commission and reaching the world for Christ. Peter gets up on that first Pentecost Sunday and, and quotes from Joel. And Joel said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke about. This is the last days. So catch this. There is a span of time, a prophetic span of time called the age of the church. And if I had time to show this to you from a deeper prophetic standpoint, there, it's, it's a, it is an undetermined amount of time. You go to Daniel and start studying the prophetic time clock that Daniel saw, 490 years, and I don't have time to go into it. But there is a very clear space, uh, space of blank chronology where God shows up in a kairos opportunity for the church to win the world to Jesus Christ. Did you get it? And so we are living in the last days. You say, well, they said that over 2,000 years ago and the day of the Lord hadn't come. Well, in God's mind, a day with the Lord is a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is a day. We're living in an undetermined prophetic Time clock. It's like, it's like, you know, the old sand hourglasses that the big sand, what do you call them? Hourglass? Yeah. Where the sand's slipping through. When you study prophecy, it's, it's just like this. This is the way it's, it's very clear in in Daniel and other passages. There is a God at, at a point turned up the prophetic time clock and it was 490 years, by the way. And At a certain point, God stopped the clock at 483 years, and it is stopped prophetically. It's called the age of the church. And then at the end of the age of the church, whenever that is, when the day of the Lord comes, his hand is taken off. And the clock starts ticking again, and it's called the seven years of what? Tribulation. Tribulation. So that's, that's, that's the history of the world in a nutshell. But we're living while God's hand is on the clock. We don't know how, you know, we, and, and here's the deal. Most people, all, well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Most people, all they're concerned about is the chronology. We'll talk about that. But here we need to understand we are in the middle of a kairos opportunity. And we don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much chronology we have left. <coughs> in fact, the Bible says no one knows but God. Are you with me? And so, uh, you know, most people, in fact, when Jesus in Matthew 24 started talking to his disciples about the last days and all this stuff going on, they were saying, Jesus, Jesus, tell us when. Tell us when. What were they saying? We want to know the day and the hour. We want to know the chronology. He said, it's not for you to know the chronology. I'm not going to tell you the chronology. Uh, but I will tell you, you, you're not going to be ignorant of it. And First Thessalonians, or 
yeah, in First Thessalonians, you're going to be sons of light. You're not going to be in the darkness. You're going to know the seasons and the time. He said, I, he said you guys know. I got a feeling most of God's church, uh, the, they don't know and realize, hey, we're in a prophetic kairos moment called the age of the church whereby we have the responsibility to fulfill phase two of the Great Commission. That ought to, oh, we, and we need to wake up to that understanding. We need to wake up and, and open our eyes to where we are from a prophetic standpoint. How many of you catch that? So we need to open our eyes and wake up and get a prophetic vision and understanding and revelation in our heart that God is looking at us and this undetermined amount of kairos and I, uh, pardon me, undetermined, thank you, uh, what's your name, Jeremy? Thank you, Jeremy. In an undetermined amount of chronology, we don't know, we're living in a kairos opportunity. How many of you don't want to, and that's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, redeeming your kairos, pay whatever you have to pay, do whatever you have to do to make sure that you don't miss your moment. little simple illustration in fact Beverly she was going I don't know where it was somewhere shopping and she she uh, actually felt this unction no she actually she she thought about going to a particular store and then she got no that's not where I'm going I'll go there later but she drove there kind of without thinking of it, and all of a sudden she's in the parking lot she's sitting in the parking lot she says out loud why did I come here She's sitting there going, why did I come here? And as she's sitting there pondering why she came there, a lady who she'd been praying for and a lady who God had laid on her heart to connect with, who's a pastor's wife in our area, walks across the parking lot in front of her. And God said, that's why you're here. This is your Kairos moment. So she made her way into the store and they met and they talked and and God did a good work and, and a, a connection. It was a kairos moment. We're living in, an, in, in a kairos moment that we need to make the most of. What would what, what happen if she just said, ah, I'm getting out of here. I got better things to do. Stupid Beverly. She didn't do that. She all of a sudden realized, hmm, there's something. Why did I do this? Interesting. And, and we need to catch that understanding. So it's a, we need to catch a, a prophetic vision and insight. Number two, uh, we need to catch a personal, it's got to become personal to us, a personal vision and insight. We've got to make it personal. You know, sometimes, and we're going to talk about corporate in a minute, sometimes we can hide in the corporate vision a little bit, but we've got to get, make it personal. We've got to realize that we are a part of God's great plan. You and your family, you were born into a kairos moment of opportunity for other people's sake. In fact, uh, if you think about what Paul said, pardon me, yeah, what Peter said when he began to uh, quote Joel in Acts chapter 2, what does Joel say? Your son Sons and daughters will prophesy in your own men. In other words, hey, you need to understand, we're talking about your family, your friends, your life. 
that God's connecting with here in this Kairos moment. And we've got to understand and walk in the personal revelation that God has got me here for a divine purpose to fulfill his will and to do my part in expanding the kingdom and finishing the work that he has for me to do and for us to do. I've got to own up. Everyone say man up. We got to man up. We got to own up to the revelation that God wants to use us. And and you know what? Uh, All of us need to get that revelation. I think of Esther. You remember the story of Esther? I don't have time to tell it in full detail, but Esther was just a, a little nobody, a little orphan girl that God raised up in a supernatural fashion and placed her in a place of great influence as the as she won the beauty contest. She became the king's, uh, 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 you know, queen, and and all of a sudden, when the when the enemy tried to to eradicate the Jews from off the, off the face of the earth. You know, Esther's uncle, Mordecai, told her, said, Who knows, Esther, whether you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, catch this vision. God had, there was one little beauty queen standing between total Jewish annihilation and God's prophetic plan coming to realization. I mean, even know she was important to God. And what a, it's a great story for all of us because none of us know and realize, uh, you know, our influence. I heard a story the other day of about a, a years and years ago about a Sunday school teacher. One of his little little students didn't uh, wasn't stopped coming to class, and so he traveled, uh, you know, over across the tracks and down the way and found him working in, I think, a little shoe store or something and said, hey, where you been? What you doing? I've been missing you. And the little kid said, oh, man, I didn't know anybody cared about me. And uh, so he started coming back and started giving a full heart into his life and made a commitment to Christ. And that man was Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, who was used by God as a great evangelist and the great awakening. And, oh, man, thousands and thousands of people got born again through the ministry of the preaching ministry of D.L. Moody. Well, what about the little man, Sunday school teacher, who showed a little interest? He, he took his job seriously and personally. I wonder how many people are thinking, uh, I'm just here taking up, uh, it's not a big deal. You don't know who you're standing next to. You don't know who's across the street. You don't know their their story and you don't understand we just don't understand that God wants to use us personally and we need to get a personal vision and revelation open our eyes to the reality that God wants to use us amen me look at somebody and say he's talking about you and me he's talking about you really true how many of you how many of you are catching that and, and, you know, and tonight, I just, I, I know some of you just go, I don't know inside. You're going, I don't know inside. Listen, pin up on the inside of you is, is the gifting and the calling of God that God has to, to help someone else get their life on track and make a big difference in the world. Amen. So, 
We need to open our eyes. If we're going to have a vision for the harvest, we need to open our eyes to a, prof- to, to a prophetic understanding of the times we live in. But we need a personal vision and understanding. We need to take it personally. Ooh, this is talking about me. This is not just talking about, you know, I'm just not going to sit around on the sidelines and watch somebody. Hey, it, it's, God wants me involved. I need to... I need to embrace a personal vision and revelation and insight and realize, as Paul said in Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, he's given to us, that means me, the ministry of reconciliation. And that is, though, as a, that is if a God was pleading through me to the rest of the world, be reconciled to God. Amen. Are you with me? So that's number two. And then number three, as I promised, If we're going to really open our eyes and get a vision for the harvest, not only do we need a prophetic understanding and revelation and a personal vision and and revelation and insight about the fact that God wants to use us, we need to have a corporate revelation and vision and insight. We need to understand that, that God didn't create little independent people, scattered them all over the world to do their own thing, but there's a thing called the church that God put together that we can work together as God. God's, you know, many hands do what? They make a light load. And, and, uh, uh, and, and, and that's why Paul said he has given to us the ministry. And we need to have a corporate revelation on the inside and realize the importance and the priority of God. Uh, you know, we talked about praying for the church last month. We need to understand that, that the church, local churches are God's, God's design to fulfill his kingdom purpose. And, and one can chase a thousand, Deuteronomy says, but two can chase what? 10,000. And I have this old phrase I use over and over again. I know one word is a real word. I'm not sure the other one is. Maybe if I wiki, Wikipedia it, it'll become a word. Who knows? But it's the multiplicity of effectivity. When things start multiplying, we work together. There is a multiplication of effectiveness that happens when, when the church ca- catches a corporate vision in Revelation. <coughs> I know people who don't, they don't catch it. I have people who have basically said, no, I don't need the church. Uh, I'll do my own thing. And you know what? Some of them have great hearts and they're out doing good things. But the multiplied impact, I think of one particular person who I tried to help through this church get into the mission field and all of a sudden they realize no we don't want the church in any way governing or overseeing us we want to do our own thing and we don't want you looking down our noses which is absolutely not what we were doing we're trying to help and you know but long before long you know now they're still out endeavoring to do what they're doing but they have no financial support they have no you know things are tough and and they they just did not catch the real corporate vision one, in fact, uh, you ever heard, the, you know what hor- horsepower is? It comes from the illustration of a horse. And I don't know the exact figures, but let's say your average horse could pull a thousand pounds of dead weight. That would be one horsepower. Are you with me? So if a, if a horse could pull a thousand pounds of dead weight and you put another horse beside him and you yoke them together 
and they began to pull weight, how much weight do you think the, the two horses could pull? 2,000. Do you think? Not true. There's a multiplicity of effectivity. One horse, and again, the figures are variable. I don't understand the exact figures. But the, the, there's a multiplied impact. You get one horse pulling 1,000, two horses can pull 10,000. You get the picture? That's why God put the church together. So we wouldn't all be around trying to pull our weight. Hey, we'll pull pull together and we'll pull more weight than we ever could do on ourselves. And it's a corporate vision and revelation that, hey, God's put me in the middle of a church that that wants to make missions our mission. and, and, And I... Through the ministry of the local church and the fellowship of the saints, you know, I think of the last days of Christ. You know, this weekend, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you know, churches are working together for an evangelistic outreach. Uh, and, and they called us the other day, I think today, uh, all this rain and everything, they called and said, oh, man, it's so wet out here. We're having to order a bunch of sand. Can you guys help us financially uh, buy some sand to fill in the pothole? I'm sure we can do that because we're in this thing together. And they could never do it on their own, but together we're making a difference. It's the corporate insight. We need to catch that. I, you know, I think of Nehemiah. Remember, we, we preached on Nehemiah when Nehemiah's prayer, but what did Nehemiah do when he got to Jerusalem? He rallied the ragtag Jews that were there and he shared with them his vision. He had a vision to rebuild the wall and man, he had a burden to rebuild the wall and all of a sudden the corporate gathering rallied together. They caught the vision and they said, let us arise and build. And together God did a miracle and God got the glory. It was hey, it wasn't the ragtag Jews that did the miracle, it was God did a miracle, but it would have never happened had they not come together and said, Let us arise and build. Look at your neighbor, give him a high five, say, Let us arise and build. Come on, tell somebody, let us arise and build, let us arise and build, let us arise and build. Let's do this thing together. Amen. You catch it? Everybody say, I catch it. And then finally. To get our eyes open and really get a vision for the harvest, not only do I'm going to rehearse, need to open our eyes to a prophetic understanding that we're living in a Kairos moment. Number two, not only do we need a personal revelation that, hey, God wants to use me, and then realize that, hey, it's a corporate effort that we need to work together to accomplish God's kingdom business. Uh, And then number four, we need a global vision and insight. Think about the whole world. You say, oh, man, pastor, that's overwhelming. Now, these are old figures. But let me give you some just statistics. There's 2.2 billion people who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over 2 billion people on planet Earth. I don't know if anybody knows the update. You know, I used to hear there were 6 billion people on planet Earth. I don't know if we're getting close to 7. I don't know. But these, are, these figures are a little old. But uh, 2.2 billion people have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's just hear the gospel. That's not receive the gospel. And so we've got a lot of work to do. There's a, we need to realize that, hey, somebody else can do it. No, we've got to we've got to ask of me. 
And I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the world for your possession. Now, of those 2.2 billion people who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, every day, 48 to 50,000 of them die without having ever heard the gospel. Every day, 50,000 people who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ die without having heard the gospel. And so we need to understand those things and have a global understanding of, wow, 50,000 people every day die without ever having heard the gospel. But let me give you some good news. You want to hear some good news? You want to hear some good news? Here we go. And again, these are old figures, but here's a, here's a figure that is uh, in the year 100, which is 100 years after the birth of Christ. Okay? You catch where we're at chronologically? 100 years after the birth of Christ, you know, A.D., B.C., okay? Uh, year 100, there were 360 estimates. There were 360 non-believers for every believer in the known world at the time from historians and scholars best estimates in the year 100 after a hundred years of the ministry of G, three you know uh the ministry the real three-year ministry of jesus and then the age of the church being born 360 to one anybody care to guess what it is today and, and these are a little old figures a hundred years after the ministry of Jesus in the church, 360 to one. For every 360 people in the planet Earth, there was one Christian. Anybody want to guess what the statistics are now? Of course, I said it was good news, so you got to... Nobody's brave enough. Here we go. Nobody's wanting to... Ch- okay, I'll do it. I'll tell you. Today, and it may even be better now... There's only seven non-believers for every Christian. Do you get it? Only seven non-believers for every Christian. So what am I trying to tell you? This Kairos moment that began in Pentecost, when the ministry of the church began to explode, has been working pretty good. In fact, you know, you hear all these figures, and I think some of them are false. You hear a lot of figures about uh, Islam being the fastest growing religion in the world. I don't think it's true. In fact, in Latin America, and, and I've got a friend who ministers in Latin America, a guy named Marcus Witt. He packs out 100,000-seat stadiums and sings for Jesus and people get saved. And in Latin America, the conversion rate is three times higher than the population growth rate. That's pretty cool. In Latin America, the conversion rate is three times higher than the population growth rate. In other words, the church is doing a pretty good job. Here we are in the middle of our Kairos moment. It's time for us to awaken to the season, the prophetic time we live in, and get, make it personal in our own life 
plug into the corporate vision of your local church. Many hands make a light load. You know, Mother Teresa says, you can do what I cannot do. I can do what you cannot do. But together, we can do great things. And then realize the whole world, God's touching the whole world. And we need to get excited about what God's doing around the world. You know, I said this earlier. I'll say it again. Uh, I might have said it Sunday or some other time. I can't remember. Ralph and Annie Dryden. Some of you met them. They were here on a Wednesday night. Now, they're just common folk. Ralph, back in the, in the Vietnam War, at the end of the Vietnam War, he met Annie. She's, she's Vietnamese. No, she's Thai. Uh, but he met her at the end. I don't know if she was in Vietnam or what, but married her, brought her home. And for 20-something years, she never went back to see her family. Long story short, they became pastors in one of our sister churches in Palestine and built a pretty cool little church, a multi-cultural, diverse, ethnic background type church. And they go back to Thailand, and they get this vision to be missionaries in Thailand. And... So they've been there doing that, doing great things. And, and then one day, a few years ago, a couple years ago, they sent an email out and said, we, we're thinking we want to build a radio station. And we think it's going to cost $5,000. What were he thinking? And nobody responded to the email except Randy Miller from Sour Lake Church on the Rock which is on a good day on Sunday morning, 35 to 40 people. And they sent him, I I think this is correct, $1,500. And the vision was born. And and it ended up costing about $35,000. Today, across from their church facility is an antenna sticking up in the air. And Pastor Sam preaches on that radio station to thousands and thousands of Thai people in a big listening area around them. It is bizarre. But guess what? It's reaching the world. And you begin to see those things and realize one of our one of our at our Indian Bible school slash seminary in Vizakapatnam, India, years ago, one of the first graduates of our college there went to the northern region. They just, they just celebrated 30 years of ministry. And the, the founder, Dr. P.J. Titus, a dear friend of mine, went to heaven a number of years ago but it, the vision continues. And they had their 30-year anniversary. And this young Bible school student who's now 30 years, you know, 28 years later or something like that, shows up at the anniversary and he tells the story of 600 churches that have been birthed through his ministry in the north part of India because of Church on the Rock Seminary. That's just one guy. See, it's a big world we live in, but we're making a big difference. 
We need to see that and realize that. Amen? Amen. We need to make missions our mission. And I'm hoping and praying that in the next three to five years, this phrase, making missions our mission, becomes our culture. It becomes who we are more and more and more and more. Amen? Amen. So we got to get a vision of what Jesus told the disciples. Lift up your eyes and look. See. The fields are white already to harvest. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together. Let's pray again for the harvest of God.